Last night I was doing my daily Bible reading and I was in Matthew 11, which is why we're not finishing up on the spiritual fitness study we've been doing. And as I read this passage, it was just something that really got into my heart, something I want to be in my life. And so I just, I mean, I went to bed thinking about it, woke up thinking about it. So we're going to look at the, the gospel invitation tonight. Now this, of course, is the Statue of Liberty. Uh, the official title, the Statue of Liberty, is Liberty Enlightening the World. The statue was dedicated on October 28, 1886 as a monument to commemorate the centennial signing of the Declaration of Independence. The statue stands on Liberty Island in New York Harbor and welcomes visitors, immigrants, and returning Americans traveling by ship. Now, according to Wikipedia, the statue is made of pure copper, hung on a framework of steel. The only exception to this is the flame of the torch, which is coated in a gold leaf. The statue stands atop a regular stone pedestal with a foundation in the shape of an irregular 11-point star. The statue itself is 151 feet tall, but standing on the base, it's 305 feet tall. The Statue of Liberty is one of the most recognizable icons of the United States. For many years, this was the first glimpse of the United States for millions of immigrants coming to America. As the Statue of Liberty exhibit, there is a bronze plaque inscribed with a sonnet called the New Colossus. The most famous part of this poem says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. This part is famous because it comes across as an invitation. It's an invitation to leave behind depression and be free. It's also famous because as an invitation, it seems to invite anyone and everyone to come. The invitation is not restricted to the rich and politically connected. The invitation specifically invites the tired, the poor, the huddled masses, the wretched refuse and the homeless to the, and the tempest tossed. The invitation calls for all who yearn to breathe free to come. The openness of this invitation is what makes it so great. Now, as great as the invitation on Liberty Island is, God's word gives us a greater invitation. So open your Bible to Matthew 11. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. Should be on page 742 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Matthew 11 and 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Title of the message is The Gospel Invitation. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You are great and glorious, wonderful and worthy, so so much more worthy than our minds can comprehend and our mouths can declare. Father, we've all read this passage. We've probably memorized it many times over. Tonight, let your Holy Spirit come and, and just make it fresh to us again. Make us to better understand what we're invited to. Make us to better understand the rest for our souls. Make us to better understand we can learn from Jesus. Make us to better understand what it is to take His yoke upon us. Use this time tonight to refresh us. 
Use this time tonight to strengthen us. Use this time tonight to encourage us. And use this time tonight to make us more devoted disciples of Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to say what you once said. Nothing more, nothing less. Have your way in all of our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the larger context of this passage uh, is kind of neat, actually. Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the twelve. And while they're out ministering, Jesus continues to minister on on his own. He sent the twelve out two by two. Um, They're out doing their thing. He doesn't just take a break. He goes on to teach and preach in verse 1 of chapter 11, it tells us. And and the overall picture of what we're looking at is this is now a, a, a large crowd has gathered around Jesus. And as he has gathered this crowd around him to teach and to preach about the kingdom, he he calls them to come to him. And this is, I guess what you would say, I've called it the gospel invitation. This is the, the gospel call that goes out to all people everywhere. Right? This is why it's for all people. This is why the gospel call is so great. But what makes it even greater is what we're being called to. First part of verse 28. Come to me. So the gospel, it invites us to Jesus. This is probably, it's the main point, And it's the most important aspect of really anything we're ever going to talk about. As far as being invited. As far as the gospel calling. Everything centers around Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus. The Old Testament was about Jesus and preparing the way for Him to come. The Gospels reveal Jesus. Acts through Jude tell us the importance and the significance Jesus makes on our life. Revelation reminds us Jesus is coming again. And as Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter 5, all Scripture points to Him and the issue is that we would come to Him. Right? That was the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. They, they studied the Word. They knew the Word. They memorized the Word. But their problem was they wouldn't follow the Word to Jesus. They might have Him. So everything we do when we study the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we understand the gospel, all of it is inviting us to Jesus. Always it is inviting us to Jesus. What happens when we accept this invitation and we go to Jesus? The two two things I want to show us tonight. The first is Jesus gives us rest. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Now, he he uses two words, paints the picture of two groups of people. Those who are weary and those who are burdened. The words are strong words. Weary, for example, isn't just slightly tired. Weary refers to extreme weariness. It pictures someone Who has gone so far and so long that they just about cannot take another step. They are exhausted to the extreme. Burdened. Picture someone under extreme pressure. Probably, since it's the burdened in my Bible, probably it pictures a weight on them. Someone carrying a weight so heavy they feel like it is about to crush them. 
It felt like that, that this pressure, this burden upon them is going to either cause them to explode or they're going to fall down underneath the weight of it and it will crush them. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt either of those ways? Do you feel that way tonight? If so, Jesus invites you to come to Him for rest. Now part of what's so great about the invitation we see here is it doesn't give us anything specific about what caused the weariness and the burden. It's not if you're weary because of Satan's attacks. If you're burdened because of circumstances beyond your control. It's if you're weary. Come to me. If you're burdened, come to me. The leaving off a particular circumstance is intentional because it's meant to be an open invitation for anyone and everyone who is weary and burdened to come to Jesus and receive his rest. No matter why they're weary, no matter why they're burdened, Jesus invites us all to come to him for rest. We think about the different things, the different circumstances that could cause us to be weary and burdened. There are many things. That could be. And God's word gives us answers about many things that can make us weary and burdened. And gives us a promise showing how Jesus can give us rest for our souls in these times. I'll I'll just look at two as an example. Guilt for sin. Now this is, of course, obvious. You would expect a gospel message to talk about sin. And it should. But this is obviously an expected part of the rest Jesus gives. Yet it's one we must not undervalue because I think the reason we shouldn't undervalue it is because the burden and the weariness from guilt for sin it's not just for the lost now surely the lost can get under that weight and they can get weary with their guilt for sin and they come to Jesus so can we as the old song says prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love you know under the right set of circumstances any of us could stray from the Lord Any of us could make a series of bad decisions that lead us further and further away from the Lord until one day we're so far away we can't imagine how we got here and we can't imagine a way to get back. We're In that point we're weary and we're burdened by our guilt for our sin. We know it's us. We have done it. And to that Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Let me show you an example of this. Psalm 32 David has sinned with Bathsheba. He has hidden it. He has resisted the Lord. He has tried to do all he can to hide it. Eventually, of course, he he does turn back to God after Nathan the prophet confronts him. And when he does, he writes two psalms of repentance. Psalm 51, Psalm 32. And as he writes Psalm 32, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality failed as with the dry heat of the summer. This pictures David basically just being miserable. He has tried to hide his sin. He has tried not to confess it to the Lord. To to keep from acknowledging it. And God's hand was upon him and it made him miserable about it. And I don't know about you. But I can relate to this feeling. 
I've been in a place before where I refused to confess my sin. I refused to do anything to try to get out of it. And have become so weary and so burdened by it. Through the years I've found various ways to mask the weariness and the burden of my guilt and my sin. I can watch movies. And if I watch enough TV back to back to back, I don't ever have to really think about my sin. I can find a book that I could get lost in. And in that book, I'm in a better world than the one I'm in at the moment. And I can lose myself in that. There are any number of other things I can do to occupy my mind to make sure I don't have to think about the weariness and the burden and the guilt I'm carrying around. But the reality, what I've always found is it's only for a short time. Because eventually, the TV does have to go off because I'm going to go to bed. Eventually, the books are over. Eventually, all that stuff goes and it'll be just me. Alone with my thoughts, alone with the hand of the Lord upon me. And in that moment, the weariness and the burden, they press in on me. But thankfully, there is rest from the weariness and the burden of sin. David goes on, I acknowledged my sin. I did not hide my guilt. I said, I will confess my wrongdoings to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Once David broke down and confessed his sin to God, the weariness and the burden for his guilt was taken away. God gives us a a promise. God's word promises us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our wrongdoing. When we're weary and burdened by the guilt of our sin, the gospel invites us to come to Jesus and find rest in him. Another one, just for tonight to be quick, is worry and anxiety. Given everything that's gone on in our world in the last few years, everything that has happened, it is safe to say worry and anxiety are significant cause of people being weary and burdened. Pastor friend of mine I talk to most every day, he has performed six funerals in the last three weeks. At the moment, he has three members of his church in the hospital who are not likely to make it. The worry for the families of the people he's ministering to is weighing on him. The times are just heavy. Weary and burdened can be any of us because of what's going on in the world around us. But the good news is Jesus can give us rest from worry And anxiety, Jesus says, peace, I I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor be fearful. Jesus offers us a peace different from the world. The world offers us a peace based upon the circumstances of life. Right? The world offers peace so long as the economy is stable. The world offers us peace so long as our bank accounts are stable. The world offers us peace so long as our political party is in power. The world offers us peace so long as the world is at peace. But let the circumstances of life upset any of those circumstances and our peace will be lost. The peace of the world is temporary, fleeting at best. Jesus offers us something different. 
Jesus offers us a peace not based upon circumstances, not based upon what's happening on the news, not even based upon what's happening in our lives, but based upon who He is and what He has done. He said, these things have I spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. I think one reason we should love Jesus is His brutal honesty. He never promised any of His disciples a life of ease, prosperity, and safety. In fact, as we see here, He promises exactly the opposite. But in this promise of the opposite is also the promise of peace despite the tribulation. Peace despite the trouble. Peace despite whatever else is going on because He has overcome the world. This is why Philippians tells us, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to the Lord. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You see, when we're weary and burdened by worry and anxiety, the gospel... The gospel calls us to come to Jesus and let him give us rest. Let him give us rest from the worry and the anxiety that's burdening us at the moment. The time doesn't permit me to share all of the ways Jesus can give us rest over the things that could make us weary and burdened. But let me quickly just mention a couple. Grief. The God of all comfort who comforts us. And our tribulation. So we then can in turn comfort others in their tribulation. Legalism. Legalism. Think of legalism as a list of do's and don'ts. You've got to do your do's and don't do your don'ts. And if you do your do's and don't your don'ts, God loves you. God accepts you. What a miserable way to live. That's weary and burdened. But Jesus offers us rest from that. Past mistakes. I love this one. I wanted to go deep into this one. We're familiar. But that God uses all things for our good and His glory. But our past mistakes, many of us have pasts that are not what we would like. There's things in our past we're ashamed of, things in our past we don't like. And it's easy to let those things weigh us down. But, but God is a redeemer. He is able to redeem our past and use it in somehow... For our good and His glory. Let me give you one example from the Bible. And, and I have to be quick. King David. King David is known for three things. Three big things. He killed Goliath. He slept with Bathsheba. And then a third mistake. Another mistake he made. A second mistake he made. That's lesser known. Is he counted the people. He took a census. He wanted to know how big his nation was. He was lifted up in pride. And as he was lifted up in pride, he sent Joab out to get the census. And because he didn't trust in God and because he was proud, God offered him a choice of punishments. David said, I don't let me fall into the hands of people. God, I just throw myself at your mercy. You do what seems best. And so God began to, to judge, bring judgment and punishment upon David and upon the nation. And then God in mercy stopped. And David went to a place. And he was told to go and, and make a sacrifice there to the Lord to stem the plague that was coming. So he went to this threshing floor. 
He bought it from the guy. The guy offered to give it to him. David said, no, no, I'll not offer anything to my Lord that I have, that doesn't cost me anything. And he buys this threshing floor. He offers the sacrifices. He stems the tide. Time goes on. David gets old. David dies. His son Solomon rises to power and becomes king. And it's Solomon's task to rebuild the temple. Or to build a temple for the Lord. And David has spent years preparing and getting all the stuff ready. And so when Solomon goes to build these probably 20 or 40 years after David had sinned and counted the people, Solomon goes to have the temple built. And do you know where he built it at? He built it on the plot of land David bought to make the sacrifice. David's sin was redeemed by the Lord and used to further glorify God and for the good of the people. Our mistakes, our sins in the past can be redeemed by the Lord. They can be used for our good, for His glory. There is nothing in our lives, no mistakes we have made that God cannot turn around. That promise is not just if bad things were forced upon me, God can use it. If I make terrible mistakes, I serve a redeeming God who can make good out of the bad things I may do. How wonderful is that? If you're weary and burdened by your past mistakes, the gospel invites you to come to Jesus and find rest. Drifting through life. A life lived for Jesus. God's word tells us is never in vain. Even if the world doesn't see it. Even if the world doesn't appreciate it. Our father sees it. Jesus keeps a record. And we'll hear well done. Good and faithful servant. Slavery to sin. It's hard to make changes in our lives. It's hard to. Even when we are free from that guilt. It's hard to get free of the sin. And we can't on our own. We're just not capable. But Jesus can free us. And He can empower us to live a life of holiness. If you're burdened and weary by slavery to sin, the gospel invites you. Come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. And so many more. I think I could say with pretty fair accuracy, pretty fair certainty... Regardless of what wearies you, regardless of what burdens you, the gospel invites you to come to Jesus and find rest for your souls for that particular issue. That's just how great Jesus and the gospel are. Are you weary and burdened tonight? If so, the gospel invites you to come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. Secondly, Jesus teaches us. The gospel invites us to come to Jesus and take his yoke upon us in verse 29. And once we take his yoke upon us, Jesus says, learn from me. We begin to learn from Jesus. This, of course, is the issue, what we call discipleship. The gospel invites us to come to Jesus and become his disciples. Coming to Jesus and finding rest is a crisis moment and a crisis issue. When we're weary and burdened, we have a crisis and we go to Jesus 
We find rest for our souls. This, however, is not the crisis moment. This is a process. It is an ongoing relationship with Jesus where He teaches us more about who He is, more about what He's like, so we can be more like Him in the world in which we live. The call to discipleship is ever-present in the Gospel. The Gospel never calls us to come to Jesus and not become His disciples. Now, the reason this is important is because we live in a day when many people want to come to Jesus for, say, rest. They don't want to be his disciples. They want the forgiveness of sin, but they also want to continue to live for themselves. They want to be Christians, but not disciples of Jesus. The way I've heard this explained is a Christian is someone who's repented and who believes in Jesus and is saved. But a disciple, someone who has believed in Jesus, is saved, but has also committed their lives to serving Jesus. You see the difference there? I'm saved, but I kind of do my own thing. I'm saved and I live for Jesus. Now, the distinction between a Christian and a disciple is not actually rooted in God's word in any way. It is actually rooted in a sinful desire to be saved from hell but live for ourselves. One reason our culture tends to think this way is because, one, we don't understand terminology. We hear the word disciple and we think of the twelve, the twelve disciples. And, And truly, they were disciples. But they weren't the only disciples Jesus had. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 disciples. Separate and distinct from the twelve who had gone up the chapter before. On the day of Pentecost, there are 120 disciples gathered in the upper room. A disciple of Jesus is simply someone who has believed in Jesus and has been born again. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a Christian. You cannot be one without being the other. That is a made-up, man-made difference God's Word does not recognize. In fact, if you were to look in God's Word, the New Testament, I I did a search today on one of my Bible programs. The word disciple or disciples is found in in the New American Standard, the Bible I use, around 276 times. How many times do you think the word Christian or Christians is used? Similar? Same number? More? Three. Now, in light of that, Which is the better description for those who believe in Jesus? Or which is the better, the more biblical description of those who believe in Jesus? Christian or disciple? Well, disciple is. We are all, if we have repented of our sins, if we have believed in Jesus, and if we are saved, we are meant to be, we are disciples of Jesus. We take his yoke upon us and learn from him. Another reason we have this kind of a problem is because we fully don't grasp what we see in God's Word. Right? For example, in this passage, the Gospel calls people to come to Jesus and find rest for their souls. And that's, that's a wonderful part. But that's not where the passage ends. It's not an end at the end of verse what we call verse 28, and then verse 29 picks up days later with a whole different context. 
The gospel calls us not only to come to Jesus and find rest, but the, it's that it continues. Come to Jesus and find rest and then take my yoke upon you. The yoke refers to the yoke that oxen wore. It was a wooden collar-like instrument placed on the neck and shoulders of the oxen. It was used for tying ropes to the plow of the oxen or for tying whatever load the oxen had to pull. It was important for the yoke to fit properly to prevent rubbing and rawness and causing sores on the animal that was yoked. In this particular context, taking Jesus' yoke refers to taking the task, right? Because the animals weren't yoked unless they were going to work. So we take his yoke upon us so we can do the things he wants us to do. But what is it Jesus wants us to do? We take on his yoke for what point? For what purpose? To learn from him. Right? That's discipleship. The gospel calls us to come to Jesus and find rest. And then submit to his yoke. And begin to become his disciple. A disciple is basically an apprentice. Think about something like an electrician or a plumber, becoming an electrician or a plumber. While there are books to read and tests to take, that's not all there is to become a plumber or an electrician. To become a plumber or an electrician, you, you apprentice yourself to a master electrician, a master plumber. And they not only give you the books to read and ask you questions, they, they show you what it is to be an electrician, what it is to be a plumber. This is essentially what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Yes, there are books to read. But there's a person to know. And a person to emulate. And a person to learn from. We take the yoke of Jesus upon us so we can learn from Him and become more like Him. What we see in this passage is the gospel calls us not only to come for rest, but to come and be His disciple. The gospel call is always a call to discipleship as well. Now, this passage is beautiful in the way it talks about Jesus discipling us. Jesus says that he is gentle and humble of heart. Now, this is meant to contrast Jesus from the religious leaders. Religious leaders were harsh, demanding to their disciples. They, they drove them on. Harder and harder. Typically they just did it one way. And everybody had to conform to this one way. And do it. And if they couldn't make the cut. You're gone. They were harsh. Demanding. Not so with Jesus. Jesus is gentle with us. As he leads us. As he guides us. I, I think thinking about the yoke. Is a good way to imagine the gentle. Versus the harsh. Now I have never in my life. Driven oxen hooked to a yoke before so i can only go off what i've seen on tv but i know there's a difference between the one who does this and pulls them like that and the one who beats them and tells them and cusses at them and slaps them and hits them with things the religious leaders were like this and jesus is like that picture is as we are yoked to Jesus, he does guide us and he leads us and he corrects us. But it's done in the gentleness of one who loves us. It's also part of the gentleness and the humility of heart. The way Jesus does it is he doesn't throw all the changes on us at one time. Can you imagine 
If on the day you were saved, Jesus told you how different you'd be today and all the changes He was going to make in your life, all the things He was going to call on you to do, how overwhelming would that have been? It's not what He did though. Instead, we were saved and He he just, for, the, for a period of time, He just was with us. You're forgiven. Stay with me. And then He began to, to gently say, probably shouldn't say those words anymore. That, that's probably not a place you ought to go to anymore. I'm not sure you should take part in that action anymore. You, you need to start doing this now. Maybe look at doing that. It was a very gentle way that Jesus was leading us to renew our minds, transform our lives, or in the words of Ephesians, to put off the old man and put on the new. It is gentle and gradual, but continual, with a specific goal in mind to make us like Jesus. Jesus is always teaching His disciples. And He's always teaching us for the purpose of making us more like Him. Our job as His disciples is simply to cooperate. When He nudges us to go right, to go right. When He tells us to stop saying these words, to stop saying those words. When He tells us to start doing these things, to start doing those things. Notice in verse 30, my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. This means His yoke is well-fitting and it doesn't beat us down. These, again, are both significant, I think. The idea of it being well-fitted is it's fitted for us as individuals. But Jesus doesn't deal with all of us in exactly the same way because we all need different things. Even if tonight, if we had two people from almost identical backgrounds, if they were to come to Jesus and be born again, and go all in and following Jesus and being His disciple. Jesus would teach them. And He would lead them. And He would change them. But they probably wouldn't follow identical paths along it. Because each one needs something different in a given moment. It is, it's almost like the class we enroll in with discipleship with Jesus. It is tailored for us as individuals. Right now, the ultimate goal is always the same, to be like Jesus. But the path to get me like Jesus might be a little different than the path to get you like Jesus. Think about in Hebrews 12, we're to lay aside the weights and the sin. Now the sin, that's for all of us, right? We all have to lay aside all of our sin. But what's a weight to you? What is something that slows you down in your running the race God has set before you? Well, what if what slows you down doesn't slow me down? Do I have to lay it aside? Is Jesus going to lead me to lay it aside because it slows you down? No. And what if something slows me down, but it doesn't slow you down? Is Jesus going to lead everybody in the whole church to to lay it aside because it slows me down? No, of course not. It's tailored to you. It's tailored to me with the exact same goal to eventually lead us to be more and more like Jesus. The end goal is the same, but the path we take to get there is individualized for each person because Jesus ensures His yoke is well-fitting and His burden is light. So again, it won't be... I'm saying it won't be hard. It will be hard. 
always hard. There's a, there's a vast gulf between who we are and who we're meant to be eventually. And the steps from here to there are going to be hard at times. But the idea of it being light, meaning it's not going to be something that wearies us and burdens us. Right? That, that's the picture. Verse 28, there are burdens that are crushing us. But the path of discipleship following Jesus isn't going to crush us. It's not going to press on us and squash us down. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus lifts us up. He strengthens us along the way. And, and the thing about, I think this goes back to the yoke as well. The way you would train two animals, again, from my understanding and reading, is you had one that was your old war horse that had done it for years and knew all about it. And then you had a younger one that was learning. And the young one really couldn't even pull it. The big one did most of the work. And all they did was just they learned to follow and go. Follow the big one and go where they went. And at that point on the young one, the yoke was light because the big one was doing the heavy lifting. And then as they grew, they began to do the heavy lifting equally. And then they shifted over and then they trained someone. In our case, Jesus is the one that does the heavy lifting. He doesn't put all of this on us and say, do it, Red. Be like me. Talk about being crushed. Instead, He does the lifting. He gives us the power. He gives us the strength. All we have to do is move when He moves, go where He goes, and do what He says. He is the one who carries the weight. He is the one. His yoke is light because He is the one bearing the burden for it all. The Gospel doesn't call us to do the good works because we can be good or we can be like Jesus. The Gospel calls us to come to Jesus and just Walk with Him. That's discipleship. We walk with Jesus. We learn from Jesus. And gradually and continually we become more like Jesus. And the gospel doesn't just call us to, or the gospel invites us to come to Jesus and learn from Him as His disciples. Something about the gospel we may not realize The gospel doesn't just invite us to come to Jesus once. The gospel is continually inviting us to come to Jesus. The gospel continually invites us, if you're weary and if you're burdened, come to Jesus and find rest. If you want to be like Jesus, the gospel is saying, Take my yoke, learn from me. There is a continually we are being called. If you feel beat down tonight, weary and burdened, the gospel tonight, even if you're a disciple of Christ, fully devoted, the gospel is calling you. Come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. If you long to be closer to Jesus, If you long to be more like Jesus, the gospel tonight is calling you. Come to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. One last thing. Not only does this passage teach us about our coming to Jesus. But it gives us a picture of how we should invite people to Jesus. We should invite people to come to Jesus And find rest for their souls. 
You know, we're not the only ones in the world that have been gone through these last couple of years and are weary and burdened. Our community is filled with people who are beat down with life. They're weary. They're burdened. And they need to know Jesus can give them rest from whatever's going on in their life. And and we, as His disciples, we should be inviting people. Come to Jesus and find rest for your souls. Come to Jesus and let Him be there for you. Come to Jesus. And at the same time, we must call these same people to learn from Jesus. We cannot give people the mistaken impression they can get from Jesus without being a disciple of Jesus. Come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. But also come to Jesus and take his yoke upon you. Learn from him. He's gentle. He's humble in heart. And this is an interesting thing. The rest for your souls, which we've. It's after we take the yoke. Come and he'll give us rest, but then the rest for our souls, that part comes after we take the yoke. There is there is the rest we get when we initially come to Jesus. But there is a deeper kind of rest we get when we take his yoke and begin to learn from him. So as we invite people to Jesus, we invite them. Come and let Jesus give you rest. Come. Take his yoke and learn from him and you'll find a rest for your souls that you can't find anywhere else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We praise you for all you've given and done. Thank you for Jesus who offers us rest, rest for our souls. Father, I know many in our church are weary. Many that are here tonight may be. Many are sick. Many have suffered other losses. Got other things going on and they're weary and burdened right now at this moment. Father, let them clearly hear the gospel, invite them to come to Jesus and find rest for their souls. Jesus can meet whatever need they have. Jesus can help in whatever way that they need. He can do so much more than anyone else can. And let us all clearly hear Jesus calling us to take his yoke and learn from him. Continue to lead us, Jesus, and make us more like you. And we read the word, speak, and show us what you'd have us to do. Let us not go through a day without spending some time with you, listening to you, learning to be more and more like you. Have your way in all of our lives, we ask. Amen.